0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great.
1: I'm doing great. I'm doing. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so get, excited. Yeah, you're interviewing all of my favorite guys. I the, and this guy is a good one, and, Sean Aker, and they all keep popping up in my feed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, they're they're,
0: they're, they're as well they should be because this this guy is this guy's legit. Sean Aker is the author of The Happiness Advantage, Big Potential. Uh, those are his two big books. We're going to discuss. The, the measurable definition of happiness, because part of what he does is in, in, in studying happiness, you have to be able to measure it and you have to have be able to compare it to, to other things. But he really thinks that if you can find a way to hack your brain to be happy, which basically just means smiling more and acting and finding the gratefulness in oh life, you, it right? will unlock every door. It will actually help you. Be happier. It will help you be more successful. It will attract people to you that, that for the the things that you want. So I'm I'm actually really excited to share this with you guys. Also, speaking of sharing this with you guys, and a couple of you have been doing this, and it means the world to me. Please, the number one thing, if every single one of you listening to this would share this podcast with one other person, we could double our listenership right now. Right now we have no sponsors, which is great. This is a labor of love. We love doing it. This is our way of getting you intelligence for your life in a longer format than we can do on the radio. And we're excited to be able to do that for you. But in order to keep doing it, we need more people listening. And that, and, and the biggest help would be for you to share this. And something like this about happiness is something that uh, that everybody could hear.
1: Part of the reason we don't have uh, sponsors is that there's only there's only certain things that we'll do. Right, you know. So we're not going to do we're not going to sponsor tanning beds and and uh, and and, uh, cola drinks. Yeah, um, yeah. But, Pe- Pepsi's been trying to get in this, podcast for a <laughs> but I, but but what's great about these, especially these last five or six interviews uh, that you've done, uh, Gib? It, it's just, I mean, you could you could just share those around and you would improve people's lives, right? I, I mean, it's yeah, just, I, I hope it's so. so. It's so great. So we, before we get there, I wanted to talk to you and get your take on this, uh, Gib, because we were talking about this on the radio show uh, with you, and uh, I, what's great, what's great about the podcast is that you don't have to get it done in a minute twelve, yeah, right. But so I, I, guess I missed the whole Marie Kondo thing. I guess you did. Yeah, she's but, because huge. she's a tour de force. I, well, I mean, I mean, not only does she have like the number one book, but it's also the number one Netflix show, uh-huh. and all these people. And so now, a tidying up with Marie Kondo. If if you're like me and 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 missed this, and I, I need this in my life. But now people are are uh, they're used. They've turned her name like FedExing. They've turned her name into a, a verb. Yeah. So they're now saying con- so condoing, <laughs> is now taking over the, the internet in the past week. Uh fans are posting pictures of their clothes all neatly folded oh, in the drawers.
0: Oh yes. And uh, one of my favorite things I've seen is uh some of my friends who are not this type of person, but who need to be this type of person have had their the have been posted uh or have I've I've seen them holding like a shirt with their eyes closed and like really feeling it to find out if it brings some joy or oh not. Oh my gosh. And then, and then putting it in either the giveaway pile or the uh or the or the hold pile.
1: And I forgot about cause this there there is uh, there is uh, history. Uh, to, to, for to, turning it's what is it called when you turn it into a, it's called uh, oh an eponym Ooh. is is to turn yeah the a, eponymous Marie Condo. Y- there you go yeah so uh so it's condoing and then one of the first ones was Franz Mesmer right mesmerizing Pi- right for pioneer for hypnotism and there was also Louis Pasteur and of course that's yeah, yeah. Pa- yeah. pasteurizing you do yeah. you not even you're not even saying it because it's so obvious. Oh, I right? thought, I, yeah, I didn't realize that. I, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. that's it, yeah. So, yeah, so anyway, there's that, that's some trivia for you is that uh, you find out. You know, I mean, it's something you could say in a li- line at a Starbucks, right, to somebody you're interested in. Hey, are you condoing this weekend? People are like, what, I'm staying in the condo? I know a lot of people who have done that. They, there's like no weekend plans. I'm going to condo
0: all weekend. And they, and they go through their closet and yeah. they do the thing. And we did this show, piece in the radio
1: show about how that's boosting all of the donations at Goodwill's. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Overwhelming them. Yeah. And libraries are really benefiting as well. To, yeah. all, to all the condo. Now, is it you, you, the Cal Newport interview? Is that coming up uh, next? That is uh, probably gonna, well with the people will check.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know exactly but, what's next. But, but, but he. But he's almost like the uh, the
1: the digital condo, right?
0: Yeah. So that's going to be about digital minimalism, and that interview was one of the most exciting interviews too I've ever done. Uh, basically about how, how we, we, become, we become slaves to our electronic devices, which was never the intention of, of how they were designed. They were, they're meant to be tools, and they, we have become tools of the devices and the companies behind them right. instead of making it a tool for us. And he's got some great tips for how to break that cycle and why it's important to break that cycle. And we coined a couple of phrases during the interview uh, that I'm really excited about. So when I share that with you, I'll, I'll point out the phrases. that we're
1: Yeah, so his thing will be Newporting. i got to go home and Newport. Yeah. Right.
0: Well, you don't have to go home. You just go on your phone and delete all your apps. That's, that's new <laughs> There boarding. you
1: go. Hey, can we do one more? Yes. There's, um, I, I really found this interesting, and Gip and I were talking about this again on the radio show, but uh, uh, experts at, um, at UC Berkeley, researchers there are finding out that there's one thing that you can watch at the end of a lousy day that'll turn it around, and that is you find a good nature documentary. Oh, yeah. Right? Repla- oh, yeah. It replaces all your negative feelings with a sense of joy. So, uh, psychology professor Dr. Keltner, who you've also interviewed. Yes. Yeah, he led the research, and he says it's because nature shows are relaxing, but we also feel connected to nature, so it gives us a sense of calm, and uh, it's it's how we can uh, handle stress in the future as well.
0: And No question. I mean, look, there's, there's something about seeing the raw primal power of animals or the seeing, you know, the <laughs> waterfall. And by the way, there are so many great nature documentaries. It's not like, it's yeah, not yeah, Mutual yeah. of Omaha. Not that there's anything wrong with the old Wild Kingdom. But like Life and, uh, and Blue Planet and uh, what's, the, what's the super one? Uh, Planet Earth. Planet Earth, yeah. Planet yeah. Earth
1: 2 is amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So they're, 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 those are all available on streaming services, and some of them are in 4K. And my goodness, is that gorgeous. And, and literally, nothing makes you feel smaller than seeing a blue whale on, on your TV yeah, and seeing yeah. it next to a person going, oh, my gosh, yeah. I am tiny. And it, it's, it, it, believe it or not, that's relaxing.
1: Yeah, I watched uh, Planet Earth two with your kids, three uh-huh. kids in in the bed from mm-hmm. two, two, five, and seven, and it was not relaxing for us no. because there were two giant uh, um, something lizards. What were those things called? The uh, Komodo. Oh yeah, the Komodo lizards. dragons. Yeah. yeah, yeah, wrestling each other. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm yeah. never going to that island ever. Komodo. It's yeah. the, that's the island. <laughs> that's what they're called. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. So the, the, they are uh, they are they're, they are incredibly nasty nasty animals. Um, I mean, I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah. They are perfect predators. For I was it. relaxed f- when it was off. Yeah. it was you over. Just, but just every now, you, now you can't get out of bed because you're just imagining underneath my bed is a komodo dragon that's <laughs> going to take my foot off if I put it down. And the thing about them is they're not venomous. Their mouths are so full of bacteria yeah, that when that they way. bite yeah. you, it yeah. gives, it infects you and it kills you. So yeah. that's yeah, crazy. Well enough. <laughs>
1: Enough about Komodo dragons. Enough, enough horror films. So, 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 set this up for us.
0: Speaking of happiness, here is Sean Aker. He is going to talk about well, he's going to talk about the the, the happiness advantage and 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 how that really improves your potential in everything, in relationships, uh, in in athletic performance, but uh, just in, in life in general. So, I'm really excited to share this with you. I hope that you feel as good after this as I do. Sean Acor, thank you so much uh, for for being with us today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, so you've written two tomes on happiness and and potential, and I think predicated in the idea of writing a book about being happy uh, and what the advantage to being happiness uh, to being happy is is the idea that happiness is something quantifiable or at least at least attainable. So so I guess first off, what do you consider happiness?
2: So the way I define happiness in my research is not pleasure. Um, Because pleasure is so short-lived, it's not worth us talking about for very Mm -hmm. long. Um, What I'm looking at is happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential, which is an important definition as we're researching it, because joy is something you can experience even when life is not pleasurable. You're going on a long run, you're in the midst of childbirth. You can have high levels of displeasure, but you can also experience joy in those same moments, but that it's not stagnating. That joy actually is fuel for us seeing more potential as well. So it doesn't cost complacency. It's a movement forward based upon this emotion and this energy.
0: So so this idea of temporary joy is is
2: non-static. What is that what does that, that exactly mean? Yeah, so part of what I've been finding in my research is that oftentimes what causes us to continue on to be resilient, to have grit, to pursue our goals, we need to have um, not only a belief that our behavior matters, but we need to have a fuel that gets us going in that direction. To me, joy is that fuel. It's the meaning behind the work we're doing. It's why we feel excited when we feel deeply uh, connected to people around us. So. Uh, what we're looking for in this research is not something that stops us where we're grateful for the present. And then we just stop. What we're looking for is something that actually moves us forward. So we could see more of our potential, not only in a business context, but um, academically or athletically as well.
0: And you, you talk about potential. Uh, you, does you just mean like what, what we're able to accomplish or is there some sort of other, other definite working definition you have of potential? Uh,
2: well, so I've, revise the way i've looked at potential. So previous to the past year i've been researching happiness at uh, and potential at an individual level. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at how we could raise your individual happiness by changing your individual habits and in doing so we can change your individual success rates. Now that we have big data, everything has changed for us because now we're not just <laughs> looking <data>. at what <laughs> now we're we're not just looking at what you're looking at what you're experiencing, but we can see now and quantify the ripple effects you're having on people two to three degrees separate from you. And what we're realizing is that the potential we have been pursuing in psychology for, you know, three to four decades was basically capped at the individual level. We had eliminated others from our pursuit of happiness and success, not only as we were studying it, but how we were creating it. I mean, the whole idea of a self-help movement is the idea that happiness and success could be done in isolation and alone and in competition. And now what we're realizing is that if you pursue a a potential that's interconnected with that ecosystem around you, turns out, we're not only able to leverage our strengths even more, but that's how we see even higher levels of potential um, across the board in terms of academic achievement, in terms of promotion rates, in terms of productivity, sales, energy levels, but also how long we live, how much meaning we find in life.
0: Okay, so, y- so this idea of potential in, in, is is a, a ripple effect, you're saying, in the effects that we have on the people around us, in, including our own happiness, but... And you say moving towards that potential. So I guess, how does one a identify their potential, and b, how does that interact with our own happiness? Like, why is that so fundamental? Why is it not? Why isn't it just joy? Why, like, why is that the better thing?
2: That's, that's a great question. So, you know, first of all, I think science is terrible at predicting the height of your potential. Mm. Um, we're not very good at doing that. Um, we look at averages normally we look to see how much potential the average person has so we could tell you how fast the average person can run But we can't tell you how fast a human can run in the future We mm. can tell you how fast they've done in the past But what we're really interested in is looking to see if we can raise the amount of potential you're manifesting in your life So your genes and your environment set the initial baseline for you But what we're looking for is not the average person's response to the world because if you think about it our science has been skewed by the idea of uh, based upon the cult of the average, which is we studied the average. So what we kept finding was genes and environment um, set the entire limit on your future. It you know, had a tyranny over the outcomes we expected for you. Um, that's because the average person doesn't fight their genes or their environment. But when you study these positive outliers, people who are able to make small changes to their daily habit patterns or the way that they interact with the world or that they interact with other people, turns out they can break the tyranny of genes and environment over the trajectory of their not only levels of happiness and optimism, which we thought were almost entirely inherited based upon our genes, but also their success rates rise dramatically over what scientists would have expected based upon the average person. And that links back into the initial idea of the happiness advantage, which is, When the human brain is positive, every single business and educational outcome we know how to test for rises dramatically. Hmm. Our sales rise by 37%, productivity by 31%, likelihood of promotion by 40%. Everything we test for on the SAT and the ACT standardized test, all of those things, quantitative reasoning, verbal reasoning, memory, improve dramatically when the human brain is positive. So if the brain works best to positive, we need to see what the brain looks like when it's in that state, and we need to be able to test people when they're positive as opposed to negative, neutral, or stressed, which comes back to that idea, can we create greater levels of happiness, or are we just our genes in our environment? and what and what is the answer to that? So if you have multiple children, you've seen that they come out differently. Right? Yes, so our genes very much def- so. right. they <laughs> our genes absolutely set the initial baseline for us, um our environment as well. Um, our environment, though, is a terrible predictor of long-term levels of happiness. If I compare, People listening to this right now, compared to the students I worked with um, at a school that served a shanty town in, in Soweto, South Africa, we might assume that you know those kids who have nothing would be much less happy right. than anyone listening to this. But we're not seeing that at all. Um, that the the external world only you know this is some uh, some of my colleagues' research only predicts about ten percent of our long term levels of happiness. Um, of our long-term levels of happiness is still about the external world, but it's how your brain processes that world Um, How you process your pay? How do you process where you're from? How do you process your job or your lack of job? um, Or your siblings Um, and what we found was initially we thought that happiness and joy and potential was just inherited um, but it turns out genes are just the initial baseline. I actually probably have genes that predispose me uh, to depression, given that we have you know family history of depression, mm. which manifested itself in my life. I went through two years of depression while I was at Harvard teaching the students how not to become depressed themselves, (laughs) right? Did you you
0: publish a paper on
2: irony at that moment? (laughs) I, I needed to. I was too depressed at the moment. But I walked myself back out of it using some of this positive research and not trying to do it myself, but connecting to that ecosystem around me, connecting to that social support. So in those moments, my genes say I should be depressed for life. Um, What we're finding, though, is that if you can intervene in people's lives, what we're finding is we could take people who are genetic pessimists, who have been practicing pessimism for eight decades. And at 84, we can have them for 21 days in a row. Just scan the world for three new things each day for 21 days. So you, you get 63 unique things you're grateful for. But the point of it is you're. Your brain is actually even changing at 84, and what we find is those people who tested it as low-level pessimists 21 days later are testing as low-level optimists on average. Six months later, testing as low to moderate level optimists, and this works down to age three or four as well. So, what we're finding is change is dramatically possible. Genes and environment only set the initial story. And what I'm
0: hearing you also say is that that gratefulness or or mindful great mindfully being
2: mindfully grateful is is the biggest first step in in getting that happiness. I think I think that there are two big steps. I think gratitude is the internal one, being able to be grateful in the midst of all the challenges we experience within the world. You know, I think a lot of people think that happy people are the people who don't get it or that they're the shallow ones, that the deepest people are the dark and the brooding ones. Sure. And that those... and
0: that is that has been underscored by popular culture representations of intellectuals from yeah. you know from time, from since since uh, Nabokov
2: and Chekhov, so you're absolutely right and what's amazing about that is that the that's the easiest thing in the world for the brain to do the most primitive parts of the brain automatically respond for threats or scan for threats we were evolutionally designed for Mm. that at the amygdala, amygdala level the rest of your brain the most sophisticated parts of your brain that evolved on the outside of that those are the parts of the brain that in the midst of challenge constant challenge and threat in the world are able to develop And Perceive and cultivate meaning and happiness and joy and purpose So it's actually extraordinarily easy for the brain to be able to scan for threat It's very difficult in the midst of a a Challenging world to be able to pursue and create greater levels of happiness So what we got interested in is were there specific ways people could achieve that and the two greatest predictors of that are gratitude So being able to practice scanning in any environment Mm. for things you're grateful for and when people did that it's amazing Uh, even you have three new things that they're grateful for. This is immense McCullough's original research They found that it's basically like your brain is creating a background app Scanning the world in the midst of all the threats for things you're grateful for over the next 24 hours And as your brain gets better at it almost like a muscle it's able to scan in more environments mm. for the positive for But sure. in addition to that is uh, social connection. That's the other biggest mm. one um, social connection in um, my research is the greatest predictor of our long-term levels of happiness Google found in project Aristotle they were looking to see if they could create superstar teams by analyzing the characteristics of superstar employees and then putting them together and replicating across the globe Which is a very Google thing to do. Yeah, and at the end of it they said um, we're Google, we're amazing at finding patterns. There is no pattern in the data. There is no pattern connecting the individual traits of the members of the team and the success rates of the team, that all of it was predicted based upon the social cohesion of the team. Do people feel psychologically connected to the people that are working with? Could they express their strengths? And do they feel psychological safety? So what we're finding is social connection is not only the greatest predictor of our long-term levels of happiness, it's the greatest level of our uh, predictor of our success rates as well. And I just uh, got to meet up with the former U.S. Surgeon General um, two years ago, uh, right before he left. And one of the things he was looking at were happiness hygiene habits. And one of the things we got to share with him is that we found social connection to be as predictive of how long somebody lives as obesity, high blood pressure, or smoking. So it's amazing. These two things that we think are just small things in our lives that, you know, maybe we'll focus on the bigger things and we'll get back to gratitude and friendship. Turns out those are the greatest predictors of happiness, success and longevity.
0: So even if even if you have you know financial hurdles or even if you have uh, um, other emotional hurdles, investing in the grad i just imagining you know some uh, one of our ancestors running from a saber tooth tiger being like i'm really grateful for my legs that they're able to carry me right now i'm grateful for this rock that i'm able to throw behind (laughs) just like seeking gratefulness (laughs) as we deal with with stressors in our lives but you're saying that that is that is the best way to do it and you mentioned a concept of of social safety uh in terms of in terms of team success what is social safety
2: So, social safety is something I described in Big Potential, which was looking at how, when you include that ecosystem of people around you back into your formulas for happiness and success, Mm -hmm. you actually find that you're able to garner so many more resources than you were individually. So, take that caveman running from a saber-toothed tiger. Mm -hmm. Yes, it seems silly to stop to tell a joke to the saber-toothed tiger. That'd be a terrible idea. Or to (laughs) scam for things. I don't know. I got some good
0: ones. I got some good ones.
2: (laughs) Or while you're running. But if you think about it, telling a joke, Bonds you with somebody else, so you now have two or three people fighting against that saber-toothed tiger. Mm -hmm. Also, when your brain is positive, it's three times more creative than in a negative or neutral space. If you think about it, when we're panicked, our brain isn't thinking of creative solutions, it's going right back to the things that are tried and true in the past. So, your likelihood of being able to Develop and come up with an idea of like a pointy stick or coming up with a trap to drop the tiger in that requires the belief Your behavior matters it requires social connection and it requires creativity So if we want to be able to overcome these big challenges and stop running from threats We need to actually create a positive brain to deal with those situations and what we're finding is that it's exhausting Sometimes doing that alone, right mm. one person against the world um, not only doesn't work very well, right? You see it with superstar athletes or superstar people, you know I, I was studying the financial institutions and they were uh, You if you look to see who is like a superstar at one company and then they get transferred to another company where they can make more money Their likelihood of success at that next uh, Company is only about 30% of wow. being able to what they were doing initially. It wasn't like they were awesome Turns out 70% of their success rate was due to the fact that they had a social support network, a team that was helping them to be able to achieve that over and over again. So when we get stuck in this idea that it's just us against the world, my favorite study right now, I think you might like this one, is two researchers in Virginia just two years ago found that if I'm looking at a hill I need to climb in front of me, if I look at that hill by myself, my brain shows me a picture of a mountain that is 10 to 20% steeper than a mountain of the exact same height I'm perceiving while standing next to someone who's gonna climb it with me. Wow. So literally, yeah, isn't it amazing that our literal perception of the world changes based upon am I overcoming this hurdle by myself or with other people? That could be financial debt, that could be trying to overcome anxiety in school, that could be trying to become more successful or live longer. And what we're finding is if we can bond together, not only is there social safety, social connection is the greatest predictor of our success rate. So you were mentioning if somebody is going through, you know, has massive levels of uh, financial issues right now. I think happiness is is a luxury item in good times. I think in difficult times, it becomes one of the most important tools we have is the greatest competitive advantage in the modern economy, because it allows you to use your brain at its at as highest as possible level to overcome those challenges and increases the likelihood of finding a job, keeping a job, being able to make better financial decision making and be able to connect to the people we care about.
0: And how is this, how is this more advanced or, or new compared to the, old, the power of positive thinking?
2: I, you know what? i I wouldn't say it's it's better. um i I was I grew up with that, the power of positive thinking. What I would say is all this research we have now, proves how true it is. I mean, Mm. I got started back at the Divinity School studying Christian and Buddhist ethics and got pulled over to the psychology department to study happiness because they told me, you know, we can measure things like happiness and meaning and altruism and optimism now. And I was like, no, no, you can't. Those are those are mysteries. Those are soft things. We could study depression and anxiety, of course, and then medicate, But you can't study something like happiness. But it's the same spectrum. It's the same metrics we're using. We're just looking at the other side of it and the pause of outliers. Once I realized you could measure these things, I got hooked because we could see what works. So if someone like a Norman Vincent Peale, you know, or Tony Robbins says something, we can see, does this actually just work for Tony? Or does this work for everyone, right? Does this work in the midst of Uh, a banking crisis. So all this research, I I left actually eventually Harvard to go test this out in the world. And I've learned so much more about happiness since doing that, because I got to battle test this in cancer wards with soldiers coming back from combat services Mm. with homeless populations. We've done it in schools after school shootings. We've been doing this at at hospitals after the night Pulse club shooting down in Orlando, looking to see, can we create happiness? Not when we eliminate all the variables from our life, but can we create happiness in the midst midst of the messiness of life? And, uh, and, and is the answer that yes, we can. It's incredibly so I'd say, all of my research from big potential back to happiness advantage isn't necessarily about happiness or potential. It's really the change is radically possible that we really have bought into this belief that I can't change based upon my genes or my environment. And what we're finding is if you make small, incredibly small changes to your life, like simply taking 45 seconds a day to scan for three new things you're grateful for, mm. or the most powerful one, writing a two minute positive email or text message each yeah, day. We've done that study before. Can you keep going? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. It's amazing. It's my favorite one. So we've been doing this at all the companies and schools we work with We get them to write a two-minute pause of email praising or thanking one person in their life at the end of the 21 days Your social connection score the breadth depth and meaning in your perceived social connection is in the top 10% Worldwide and the reason that's important comes back to everything. We just talked about Mm -hmm. social connection greatest predictor of your happiness I work with some celebrities now who have everything money power prestige, right? but they feel like they can't go into a Starbucks without people asking for their autograph or for an impersonation. So they get sequestered in their beautiful Hollywood homes and they have everything except social connection and immediately their levels of happiness plummet. Then I work with people in Zimbabwe who have lost their lands. They can still create happiness if and only if they had deep social connection. So what we're finding is that two minute pause of email We're doing with all the schools in Flint, Michigan right now in the midst of a water crisis, in Mm. the midst of poverty. We're doing this. We actually did this. I mentioned Orlando Health um, for two years in a life or death situation where people are at at these staff meetings making life or death decisions about who's going to live based upon the resource allocation. They would start their meeting with one thing each person in the room was grateful for. And they would go around and hear everyone, and then they would go right into their work. And they had to do it quickly. They did it for two years. Two years later, almost to the day we started working with them, the Pulse nightclub shooting occurred, the second largest shooting in U.S. history. And all the victims came to this hospital. And it was the worst night of this community's uh, experience. And also with this hospital, Mm -hmm. with the, the trauma that they saw, several hours later, they started their staff meeting with gratitudes again because they were so grateful that for two years they hadn't just been doing work together, resource allocation. For two years, they were listening about all these points of deeper and positive social connection between them, deepening their social bonds, which allowed them to be resilient when those difficult times come
0: and 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 that became that became the key the key predictor of of their ability to withstand that that insane social pressure.
2: That's it. They actually go around to hospitals now training them not only for uh, traumas like a a mass shooting to occur, not only for the medical response, but the emotional response as well. And Mm -hmm. you don't do it after a trauma occurs. You actually do this prep beforehand in the same way that combat soldiers, instead of waiting for them to come back from uh, service and sometimes experiencing that post-traumatic stress disorder, actually beforehand teaching them about the potential for post-traumatic growth, where in the midst of trauma, people grow deeper social bonds so that they're scanning for it and making social units when they come back so that they have that. Because what we were finding was that the suicides we were seeing within the uh, armed forces wasn't occurring at the battle lines when things were worse. Right. It, it was occurring once they got back, right? right, where they lost the social connection. Right.
0: And there was no more camaraderie of people who understood the pain. And so they were kind of alone in it.
2: That's exactly it.
0: So like the image of of Atlas You know the human atlas holding up our holding up all of our pain in our lives and being that sort of lone wolf standing in the gap is one of the unhealthiest images we've cultivated as a society
2: i love that i I hadn't thought of it that way but yeah atlas gets crushed stars alone collapse in upon themselves you need a star system around you if you're going to lift up the world you need a whole group of people doing it especially because you get tired right Mm -hmm. if a superstar player on a team gets exhausted and can't play in the you know fourth quarter, they need the bench to be able to come in and right. help, right? right? But if you're doing this alone, you're, not only do those hills look 10 to 20% steeper, but we're vastly underperforming what we're capable of. My second favorite study was about a biologist who found these uh, in Southeast Indonesia, these lightning bugs that for some reason, the entire species, the entire community of them uh, light up and go dark at the exact same time. So they're not wow. lighting up random. It's so beautiful. But then he came back to the United States, wrote up the scientific paper about him, and he lost his job because no one believed him, right? Because biologists said the whole point of being a lightning bug is to light up in the dark, to increase your success rates compared to your your competition. So why would you light up when everyone else is lit up? And and who's going to leave this, right? Mathematicians said it's impossible for order to come out of chaos someone has to lead it, and there's no lightning bug doing it. Anyway, eight decades later, at MIT, this just occurred, Uh, they found that when lightning bugs light up individually, like they just do across the globe, Mm -hmm. we just kind of assume that's what they do, their success rate of reproduction per night is 3%. When they light up as an interconnected community, like they do in Southeast Indonesia, where this guy was right, and in one small portion of the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, turns out the success rates go from 3% up to 82% per bug. It's not like one bug's doing really well with the system. Yeah. The entire system is doing orders of magnitude better because it wasn't just hyper-competition and hyper-comparison. It was about how do we maximize the resources together right. and shine brighter.
0: Well, that sounds like you know, if, if I walked out onto a highway and just walked around hoping to run into somebody I could hit on uh, and, and, and go on a date with, the odds of success are very low. But if you go to a singles bar, the odds of success are astronomically higher because everybody's there for that purpose, right? It would sort of be the same underlying logic.
2: It's the same one. And then what I would add to that is that you're actually supporting other you know, people as you're going out as well, right? Like you're lifting up your friends. You're showing that you have friends. You're showing that you're social. All those things are incredible cues to your to future partners because they're seeing that you're connected and that you're kind and that you're compassionate, all the same – uh, attributes right. that they would then apply to you as well. That's why people love humor. Humor shouldn't evolutionarily be advantageous. We should like pretty people because they're genetically, you know, uh, aligned, right? Balanced, right? right? right. So of course we want, but why humor humor is at, at the top of both, you know, uh, both sexes like, uh, hope for potential partners. And right. part of the reason for that is it's a sign of cognitive fitness and connection, right? Mm-hmm. Our lives are better when you have humor, your parasympathetic nervous system, Actually activates, which de-stresses you, allowing your brain to work even better and decreasing disease in your life. It's all connected.
0: Well, and uh, you know, I'm I'm a comedian. Or you you don't have any way of knowing that, but I but uh, when I watch video of, of my sets that I do at a club, if the audience isn't miked, would my perception of it is way lower than if the audience is mic'd, or if I'm watching somebody else's set. If I can hear the audience re- audience laughing at their jokes, I'm much more likely to laugh than if I can't hear that. If, I, I don't know if you've ever, most comedy specials, they do a good job of micing the audience. But I because I've listened to a lot, I've heard the alternative, which is an unmiked audience. And it sounds like you're screaming into a void. And it is not funny, no matter how funny the comedian is. Best comedian in the world is going to sound insane if you can't hear other people laughing, because there's a social element to hearing other people laugh and going along with it.
2: I, I totally agree. I, you know, I watch reruns of like, Parks and Rec with my wife and Mm -hmm. while I watched it by myself, I wasn't laughing out loud at all when I watch with her I'm laughing out loud. I think that there is meaning that we can only get with other people That's why we like to go to movies and sit next to strangers in the dark because there's an experience that we're oftentimes missing out and honestly I think that's the reason, part of the reason for the rates that we're seeing from the CDC of double the rates of depression for every single age group mm-hmm. and the highest anxiety in history is because we are so capable as a technological society of being more and more independent, individual in isolation, right? I can connect to friends from anywhere behind a front phone, not getting right. to hear them, right? Or on Facebook. And as a result of that, without that interaction, we're missing so much of meaning. Everyone defines meaning differently, but it really comes back to making others better somehow. And if we eliminate others, we can't even get to meaning in our life. So we can't sustain happiness.
0: So you're saying that the that the I mean, we've and we've again, we've talked about this on, on all of our shows before that this idea of digital connection is just not quite making that concept
2: work for us. Like, it's true. I mean, as long as you meet up with those people, you can right. use digital media to actually deepen those social bonds, right? Like I can find out about social information about trips you've been on or that you're a comedian, just all you're set and be able to connect on that level, mm-hmm. right? That could deepen social connection. What happens though, oftentimes is we trade, it's a direct trade-off or we're right. following people that we never see. Right. Um, they say that it actually simulates uh, the email can even simulate a form of brain damage where there's certain types of lesions that occur where your brain uh, gets content, but it doesn't feel connection to the person who provided Stop. it. And yeah. And so when that happens, that's what oftentimes occurs in email. I can get information, but not necessarily social cues or connection right. from those people, which is why negotiations happen face to face, because we're looking for all those those points of interconnection between people. And And, you know, even sitting around drinking a beer with somebody is a collaborative action. When you do something with somebody, you like them better immediately, right? So if you're not doing things with other people, we miss out on so much of that. And was would, it, would video chatting be uh, a good second place, or or is that still is that still one level too far removed? No, it's it's so much better. It's so much better than email, right? As long as you're getting some of those nonverbal cues, the more you share with a person, even if you're sharing the same you know environment, right? You're sitting at a Starbucks together and you're hearing the same noises, right? That bonds you together. Video, you can actually see each other's responses. That's so much better. Even emoticons, emoticons are valuable. They found that emoticons light up your brain almost as if you're seeing a smile, right? In the That's same crazy. way that an editor who's looking for a smile as they're going through video clips will actually start smiling at the screen yeah. as they're scanning for it. It's just we're finding these patterns. Is it it's the parasympathetic those... nervous system that makes you do that? It it's par- parasympathetic uh, is the the opposite of the fight or flight. That that lowers your response to the world. So it activates that you're right. Um, part of what we're seeing these are related to the mirror neurons in the brain mirror and the mirroring systems, right? Nerve. So if I see somebody yawn, my brain lights up as if I'm yawning and then my motor response can follow that as well. So you can not only are, are smiles and yawns contagious though, what we're now realizing as we do this research is that negativity, stress, uncertainty, and anxiety We can pick up like secondhand smoke. You don't have to be the one smoking to have the negative health implications. And I think that comes right back to the, the how you started this, which is um, the role that we have with other people and potential. If I stop smoking, my health will improve, but only so much if everyone around me is still smoking. Right, I'm still not going to reach my full potential. Right.
0: Okay. So let's. I want to back up into something here. So you're saying the joy is not happiness, but happiness is moving towards potential, and the biggest definer of potential or the limits of potential is the amount of happiness with which you approach things. It, that feels a little tautological. It feels self-referential. How, how can I determine it, happiness independent of my, uh, of my potential or vice versa? How can I determine my potential independent of my happiness so that well, I,
2: I can yeah. approach it appropriately? So I define happiness as the joy you feel moving towards the potential. So joy is uh, energy that you feel a positive response from either an emotional response or you see it being manifest in terms of continued energy towards a project. So what we're finding is potential itself doesn't create greater levels of happiness. If that was true, then every celebrity, every rich person would be much happier than the rest of us. And Mm. what we're finding is that's not the case at all. The success doesn't correlate with greater levels of happiness. In fact, for the average person, if your success ri- success rates rise, depending on how you want to define it, academically or in the business context, if your success rates rise for the next five-year period of time, statistically, your happiness level's flatline. They don't mm. actually move, um, which we keep thinking that they're gonna, right? Or right, as soon right. as I get a certain number of likes, or as soon as I write a book, or as soon as you know, a certain number of people like me, then then I'll feel happier. As soon as I'm right. married, I think I'll, happy I'll be happier, right? Like, turns out it, it it never has the response we want, because sure. every time your brain has a success, It changes the goalpost of what success looks like, right? That's part of the initial problem. So potential doesn't create happiness. What we're looking for. So I got the opportunity to to uh, this was a really informative experience for me. I got the opportunity to work with not with the previous White House, but with their uh, executive group. Um, So like the executive branch, and I was so excited, practiced my talk over and over again, got in there and started speaking. And, uh, you know, if you're a comedian, you know, like I'm trying to get people to buy into the humor and and getting people on an energy level from the very beginning. And about seven minutes in, this woman raised her hand, which completely stopped the flow. She said, I think you're really funny and entertaining, but uh, I, I can't use any of this at work. Uh, this would be totally inappropriate to talk about happiness. I work in the Human Atrocities Commission. My job is to look for the worst things that have happened to women <laughs> oh across my the gosh. globe right and yeah you you can imagine that killed my set yeah, right? no, <laughs> so yeah, yeah.
0: Much, I mean but, that's
2: that's terrible, but also that's that's like of all of the things, okay, so how do you get out of it? Well, so she kept talking, and she said she's had two members of her team attempt suicide. That she can't keep people on her team because they keep leaving because they keep burning out so quickly. Of course, and when she goes home at the end of the day to sit with her daughter around a pool, she feels guilty, feeling happy with her daughter, sure. knowing that what she's experienced. So she's putting the brakes on happiness at every point in her life, and what's the resulting impact? is people can't do the work of cataloging those atrocities and stopping them because they didn't feel any joy moving towards their potential. They needed to feel like their behavior mattered. They need to feel connected in that process. They need to feel like the successes were worth it. But if you wait until all the atrocities are gone to start feeling that joy, you never see your potential. So uh, one of my friends is Angela Duckworth, and she wrote the book Grit, right? And she... We gave a talk together because what we realized was you need both. If you have happiness, but without any type of grit, it goes away immediately. It basically simulates pleasure, right? You can't keep it when times get tough. But if you have grit and work, try to work really hard, but without any of the meaning, those people burn out. They can't work as long. We never see their potential. They can't work in the Human Atrocities Commission. They can't you know, be Mother Teresa out working and helping the poor because at some point you need to feel joy as you're moving towards your potential as a human being as a parent as a as a lover as a business person so that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to raise three things your optimism your gratitude for the world and your social connection and when those things occur we find your joy rises and every single success rate improves when we when we test it
0: so so in such a horrible situation like that right, right you dealing with is is the key to set short-term goalposts that are it's, you know, small victories that you can, small, small wins throughout the day that, or throughout the week, throughout the month that, that can offset some of the, of the, because you're, like you said, you're never going to get rid of all of the human atrocities. It's just part of the world we live in. So is the key to just find the people you can help and,
2: and count those as wins? I think so. I think being able to see, like a doctor knows that people are still going to get sick and that, that he or she can't, stop all the sickness in the world, and that there will be a continual flood of people the next day, right? But they still inoculate themselves. They still wash their hands. They still have as much contact as possible with sick people trying to improve them. And then they take those wins along the way. And I think what it is, is we need to inoculate ourselves against stress and negativity and the fact that the world is much bigger than us by practicing and scanning for those things that are positive. Post the uh, Boston bombings, um, I worked with some of the critical care nurses there, and they told me that some of them would keep, they knew terrible things were going to happen in the course of their works, they would keep what they call it in a case of emergency folder on the desk. It was basically a, a manila folder, but people could do this digitally as well. That's what I do now, um, but a manila folder. And when good things happen over the course of a year, uh, a patient improved. They got a, a cartoon that was drawn from a kid about uh, them being a great nurse. They would put it in, slide it into this folder. And then when those terrible days happen, they would open up that in case of emergency folder. And now that negative that they're experiencing, which is true, is part of reality. It's, It's not something we want to gloss over a sugar coat. Is counterbalanced by an entire storehouse of positive imagery, so that as your brain is processing that, it doesn't get paralyzed or just shut down. Believing that our behavior doesn't matter across the board, you get continual reminders of, "Look, your behavior mattered here. This mattered to this person," mm-hmm. and that meaning is what keeps you moving forward instead of just collapsing in the midst of uh, what we are experiencing in this world.
0: Hey, that's, I mean, that's easier said than done, but it sounds
2: like it's it's the most fundamental thing we could be doing. I think you're right. Right, and it doesn't take. You know, it'd be great if people could go meditate for 80 days on a mountainside. That would be phenomenal if they could take time away to do that. But these activities we're talking about scanning for three new things you're grateful for each day takes 45 seconds while you're brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. Or doing this manila folder, like literally, they would just slide things in over the course of the year, or starting their staff meetings with things that they were grateful for at Orlando Health, or starting you know, the school working with kids who have nothing, whose parents have nothing in Flint, Michigan, and getting them to scan for things they're grateful for, what we're finding is these have massive repercussions on the backside of it that improve our lot in life. It's not like those kids stay in poverty. They're able, they're better equipped to overcome the poverty and raise their academic rates when their brain is positive instead of waiting for this world to completely change. Okay. I mean, I, I, so here's, here's what I'm, here's what I'm getting. The one habit
0: that we should all be doing is monitoring our gratefulness and 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 ideally monitoring our gratefulness or or being mindfully grateful in a way that involves other people in our gratefulness. So that email, the daily reflection, um, and and making sure that our social network, our literal social network, not our online social network, is strong and and continually connected. Uh, but my question: How did you come across this? Like, how did you switch from divinity school to this? and realize that there was this such simple key to unlocking it.
2: So I went, I mentioned this briefly, but I went through two years of depression right at that transition point. I was at divinity school and a lot of my, um, I grew up in Waco, Texas. So a lot of my beliefs about the world, um, this is Waco of the 80s, not now with Fixer Upper. And in the midst of that. (laughs) Not uh, the Gaineses? Right, exactly. Yes. Uh, That in the midst of that, I had lost a lot of my uh, my. Constructs for the world at the same time I didn't feel social connection because I was so lonely and in a hyper competitive environment and I went through about two to three years of depression um, While I was actually exploring this research So not only was I seeing that this research was possible, but I started applying it in my life Writing down things. I was grateful for journaling about a positive experience meditating for just two minutes a day um, Writing a two-minute positive email praising or thanking somebody in my life Um, but the turning point was actually Not just that. The turning point for me um, was that at one point I realized I couldn't do this alone. And Mm. I had to turn to my eight closest friends and family and say, I've been going through depression for two years. I don't know if I can get out of this, but I really need your help. And the groundswell support was amazing. People were calling me, meeting up with me, emailing me. But what happened immediately is as soon as I let people in and those mountains in front of me of overcoming depression dropped by 10 to 20% for the brain. And now what got me out of bed in the morning wasn't. Am I happy or not today? Which wasn't working for me. But what got me out of bed was I need to meet up with my friend because I know how lonely she is or I don't want to leave my room. It's been five days, but I need to make sure that my friend doesn't drink tonight. And what Mm. happens in the midst of that is instead of lighting up individually in the dark, like those fireflies trying to be successful at Harvard we Started lighting up together so that those hills were not only easier, but you had people to rely on and the meaning for why you'd want to get better in the first place. When I got depressed, I couldn't remember why I wanted to get better, right? People, other people, what was what pulled me back out of that, right? So, so what I love about this research is that I now have tested this. I've worked in 50 countries, I've worked with half the Fortune 100, I've worked with you know soldiers and celebrities, and, and you know poor kids and kids homeless. And what we're finding is the same thing is true everywhere. That depression is not the end of the story, that these small positive changes, I actually study the smallest interventions we can make within our life. And the problem is they then seem too small to deal with those big problems. The reason we research this is to prove that it, it does, that these small changes have massive implications and a huge return on our investment mm-hmm. for not only decreasing depression and anxiety, but because we're so connected, depression and anxiety are contagious, just just as, uh, optimism and happiness and joy. So if we're able to just get a few people trending in this direction, we might be able to tip a society away from negativity and stress wow. towards a world that sees more meaning in its life.
0: I mean, that's, and that's, and that's a beautiful way, I think, to, uh, to end this. But what I, what I love so much is that this is, uh, irrespective of, of your circumstances. So you may believe, you know, if you're listening, to this, you may believe that you're, situation right now is one in which you cannot find happiness. But the reality is, you can find things to be grateful for. And in doing so, you will be happy. And if you are depressed with everything at your fingertips, you can also find ways to be grateful and, and begin to climb your way out of that depression in a very meaningful way. And I I think that that's actually kind of beautiful. And what's even better is that as you as you find gratefulness in your current circumstances, you you're Circumstances begin to get better from an objective standpoint, which is phenomenal as well. Like find, being content in where we are now actually opens us up to feeling better or to having more abundance in whatever that is, whether that's friendships or 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 financial success or or academic success or whatever it
2: is. Right. That's it's it's. I study virtuous cycles. So instead of continual negative vicious cycles that pull us and make things harder, every time. In a virtuous cycle, you have a success, you garner more resources making the next success more likely. Mm-hmm. So, For example, if you're surrounded by negative people, and you're in a negative environment, and you choose to be more grateful and express it to somebody else, you tip them to be more likely to be positive and grateful, and it's so much easier for you to choose happiness when people around you are being a little bit more positive. So mm-hmm. it cascades, and what you get is that virtuous cycle, where not only are you improving, you're actually seeing that big potential as the entire system experiences a virtuous cycle. That's incredible.
0: Aside from the thank the three thankfulness things every day, the three gratefulness things every day and the and the thankfulness email,
2: what is your key daily behavior that that you think everybody should be doing? I mean those those are the cornerstones of it. I mean the other thing is not sexy at all, but the other thing I make sure so those are the two things that are the biggest in my research by mm-hmm. far. If I was gonna add anything to that, I would say sleep. If you sleep seven to eight hours a night, turns out if we have you memorize um, positive and negative words and then give it back to us uh, one, uh, 24 hours later, after seven or eight hours, you remember about 70% of the good words and 70% of the negative words. If we have you sleep five or six hours a night, so less than five, it turns out that you remember 70% of the negative words, but only about 30% of the positive words. Wow. Your brain thinks it's under threat. So it rallies its resources to scan for more threats, which makes your life even harder. So what I would say is that if I was doing an order of operations, I'd be like sleep, social connection and gratitude. And those all three things feed into one another, making it easier to be able to create positive change within our life. Wow. All
0: right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sean. We really appreciate you. If people want to follow up with you, where can they go? And uh, and how can they how can they connect with
2: you? My website is happinessadvantage.com. If you want to read the new research, it's all in Big Potential. Um, And uh, you can find contact links on the website to be able to find out how to get involved with the research or ask us questions.
0: And I will put links to the websites in the show notes, as well as links to both books, uh, to Happiness Advantage and Big Potential. Sean, thank you so much for your time. I I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you so much
1: for having me. I love all these people you're interviewing lately. And, you you know, I I have to... um, how, how are you expressing? Have you changed how you express gratitude and, and your sort of gratitude practices now?
0: So I have a journal, and I, there's a link to it in the show notes, the best self journal. And, it, and, and you're supposed to do it in the morning and at night. And they, it makes you fill in the blank for three gratefulness things. Th- three things you're grateful for in the morning, three things you're grateful for at night. Any practice that has you, it, it, what, what this interview has done, is it has made me uh, really prioritize that practice, right? The importance of it. And also the 2 minutes. Uh, the two-minute gratitude email that improves your that improves your social network, your real social network of people that you're in touch with, and it uh, and it and it it changes your life. I, I cannot I cannot emphasize how important that two-minute gratitude email is.
1: Uh, and is no. it is it okay to write the same things every day, or do you are you should, if you, that's what you're grateful for?
0: It's it's fine. I just usually go through like what what has happened recently. Well, you know, I have three kids and they wake me up all night long, so yeah. it's easy to wake yeah, up yeah. and be annoyed about that. Yeah. But I try to flip it and say, no, I'm really grateful that my son wanted me to lay with him in the middle of the night because so he, awesome. he won't always
1: want to do that. Yeah, you know. So, and you know, I got to tell you something because you probably have a friend out there, right, who is spending a fortune on therapy. All right, yeah. or is spending a fortune on uh, on antidepressants. You might be able to get them off that. You might be able to help them by just sending them this podcast. (laughs) I don't know. No, I mean, well, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not a doctor, but <laughs> yeah, I'm let's... just saying maybe, maybe they could lower their dose.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe they could lower their dose. And if that works for them, please tell us about it. Make sure you rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. It really help us, helps us out. Share this podcast with your friends. Follow up with us on social media. We are on Facebook.com slash John Tesh all the time. We try to respond to every comment. We do Facebook Lives there, post videos. It's a great place to get to know us. Uh, also, you can find John on Twitter, at John Tesh, on Instagram, at John Tesh underscore IFYL or myself, Gib Gerard. I'm at facebook.com slash Gib Girard at Gib Girard on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, links to all of that in the show notes. Also links, like I said, to the journal and and uh, Sean's TED Talk is really funny and worth and worth watching. So I have a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, but most of all, we do this because we like it and we like to share this information with you. So please
1: uh, pay it forward and share it with a friend. You don't. You don't have to talk all the way to the end of the music because I restarted it. I you, noticed you, you <laughs> did that because <laughs> give is give is so good at this. He can actually fill like a, <laughs> like an Olympic announcer until the music is over. But right, uh, I learned <laughs> it from watching you, dude. <laughs> Thank you so much for again, Thanks for doing these great interviews. And, you know what we should do is we should go on Facebook Live really really soon because I'm sure you got a whole bunch of people who are answering questions right I mean asking questions people are asking questions yeah. and some great people
0: yeah. who are who are tagging me when they share it with their friends and that's really exciting thank you guys so much for listening
1: you did it.